morning, Grace Baptist Church. It is so good to be with you now for service number two. Uh, my name uh, is Nathan Captain. And again, I'm just so, so glad to be here with my wife, Elaine, uh, to, to worship with you, to share uh, with you a little bit about uh, our ministry, what we're doing, and uh, to share with you from God's Word. As I start out this morning, I just want to begin with giving you a bit of a personal introduction so you have a bit of a better idea of who, who I am, who Elaine is, where we're coming from, and, and kind of how we got to where we are. So we've been married about two and a half, coming close to three years now, which, uh, which is pretty crazy as I, as I think about just kind of how time has flown. We got married in August of 2020. So that was right at the height of COVID. Uh, and if any of you got married in and around that time or you know someone who did, uh, you'll be familiar with the incredible amount of stress that came with planning a COVID wedding. Because th things were just constantly changing. You never knew what one day was going to look like after the next. Uh, and when, I, when people ask about uh, our wedding, I, I tell people over the course of that summer, we planned about seven different weddings just as restrictions kept changing. And, and the wedding we actually ended up having at the end, it was planned about a week before it happened. So uh, it, it was a busy, busy summer. And yet in all of that, God was incredibly good and he blessed us with a beautiful, beautiful wedding. And you know, one of the things that, that drew Elaine and I together as a couple in the first place was God had given both of us a, a strong passion and a desire to serve in the local church together. And so during that summer that we were engaged, we were talking with a lot of trusted friends and mentors about ways that they thought we could do that well. Uh, and a number of them suggested that church planting should be something that, that we uh, look into and explore a little bit. Now at that point, we, we didn't really know a lot about church planting. We, we'd heard of it. We didn't really know what it was. Uh, but we, that was the advice we were getting, so we decided to act on it and go through a church planting assessment process, just to see like, if that would even be an option, if we would be cut out for that kind of ministry. And coming out of that assessment, we were offered the opportunity to uh, take on a two-year church planting apprenticeship in downtown Toronto, Liberty Village, uh, with Daryl Dash. And, and some, if not most of you, will know him. And uh, the purpose of that apprenticeship was, was to train us, to teach us a bit more about what church planting was and, and prepare us to go and to plant a church. And, and you know, if, if I were to rank all the unexpected things that happened in my life, that would probably be like number one for me. You know, both Elaine and I, we grew up in smaller communities, and if you'd asked either of us where we never thought we'd end up, downtown Toronto would, uh, would have been top of that list. And yet, that's where God called us, so that's where we went. Uh, about uh, the, pretty much the day after we came back from our honeymoon, we started this apprenticeship in downtown Toronto. And as unexpected as it was, it was an incredible experience to, to be there, to learn uh, for, for the two years that we were there. And by the end of that apprenticeship, we really did feel God had put it strongly on our hearts that he was calling us to go out from there and to plant a new church. So at that point, we just kind of had to figure out where that was going to be. You know, we really did come to love the city in the time that we were here, but uh, both Elaine and I are we're still wired for more of a small town environment. So we started looking at a number of small towns, and uh, eventually we settled on Baden. And like was already mentioned, that's just about 15 minutes west of Kitchener. It's a tiny town, 6,000 people. Uh, but, but that's where we are now, and we've been working kind of at this 
church plant full-time since September. It's when we left Toronto and, and started uh, planting what we're going to be calling Baden Central Church. And in the time that we've been there, we've seen God doing some really uh, amazing things over those months. Um, just uh, a, a couple quick things of what's been going on. Just within the past couple months, Elaine and I were able to move into an apartment uh, right in the heart of Baden, which is not an easy thing to do. Uh, there's not a lot of rentals. So that was a huge answer to prayer for us. Uh, we were able to run an alpha course with people in the community just to, to share with them a bit about, uh, about what Christianity is and, and introduce them to the gospel. We've been able to have different community dinners and, and be involved in a variety of uh, local community events, and, and so there's been a lot going on. And then on the personal side of things, we found out a couple months ago that uh, my, my wife and I were expecting our first child is going to be born in October. I was scolded because when I was told to uh, send in a bio about ourselves to, to you all as a church, I did not mention that, so I've mentioned it now. Anyway, God has been working in some amazing ways, both, uh, both in our lives and in the life of our, of our town. We're so grateful to be a part of what he's doing in Baden. And as far as why we're planting a church there specifically, I'll get into that a little bit uh, later, but I, I just kind of wanted to give you a, an overview. Again, so you, so you understand a bit about who I am, who Elaine is, and where, where we're coming from. And like I said, it's such a privilege to, to be here. We love visiting other churches and, and getting to share about the church plant and, uh, again, getting to, getting to open up God's word with you. But before I do that, I just want to begin with a word of prayer. Um, Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of, of being able to gather uh, together this morning. Um, Lord, to, to worship you, to look into your word, and uh, God, I, I thank you just for the time we've already had together, and, and pray that you would bless the remainder of this service. Be with me as I speak, Lord, and I pray that uh, the words that I say would not be, would not be mine, but uh, God, that you would speak through me this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So to begin, I'm, I want to ask you, if I were to say the words, just do it to you, what, what, what is the first thing that comes into your mind? Just top, top of your head. You know, I, exactly. I say those words and automatically for, for most, if not all of you, you think Nike. Because just do it very famously is their, is their slogan. And companies have these slogans. They're, they're meant to be, to be short and, and very memorable. I could stand up here all morning just listing slogan after slogan, and, and with a pretty high degree of accuracy, I'm pretty sure you could guess which company belongs to which slogan. And, and again, that's the purpose of it. It's supposed to be memorable and easy to associate with a certain brand, so that the second you hear, just do it, you're automatically thinking Nike. And, and yet there's, there's an issue with that, and that, that slogan doesn't actually tell you anything about what the company is about. Now, if someone had never heard of Nike and they came up and they asked you about it and you said their slogan is just do it, that person would go away from that conversation, no better idea of what Nike does. See, for that, companies have something else. It's called a mission statement. And so, like the slogan, it's supposed to be short and, and fairly memorable, but uh, it's usually about one sentence in length and it's supposed to sum up what the company is all about. So to give an example, Nike, their mission or their slogan is just do it, and their mission statement is to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. So you hear that, and you have a better idea of what they're all about. 
another, another famous company, Google, their mission statement to organize the world's information, make it universally accessible and useful. And you hear that, and, and at, at least you get some of, the, some of the core elements of what these companies are all about. And companies, they're, they're not the only ones that do this. Churches also tend to have mission statements that are, are meant to be just about one sentence to sum up what they're all about, why they exist. Again, a couple examples. At, at Liberty Grace, where we did our apprenticeship, their mission statement was introducing Liberty Village to the beauty of a relationship with Jesus. At the, uh, the, the church that we're planting, Baden Central Church, our mission statement is introducing the hope of the gospel into the heart of our community and the homes of its people. And the, the church who's kind of sending us out, uh, it's called Fellowship Bible Church in New Hamburg, their mission statement, we exist to glorify God and make disciples by demonstrating love for God, his church, and the world. So again, like the companies, you hear these mission statements and you know what the, what the church is all about, why they exist, and, and at least the, the core fundamentals of why, uh, why they're there. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a passage in Scripture where one of the most famous authors in the Bible lays out for us really what, what his personal mission statement is, what his life is all about. And for that, I'm going to invite you to join me in the book of Romans. We're going to be focusing just on the first seven verses of chapter 1. Romans, this is a letter. It was written by Paul uh, to the church in the city of Rome. And these first seven verses, they're, they're really just his introduction, his greeting to the people. He's introducing himself. I just want to start by reading this passage for you. It says, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there, those seven verses, that's just his introduction to the church. And if you look at verse 1, just kind of the beginning of that introduction, that verse right there kind of functions as Paul's personal mission statement. This quick statement that sums up what he's all about. Let me read that again. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. You read that one verse and, and you know from that what Paul's life is all about. And as you read that, you see it all centers around one thing. It all centers around the gospel. He was set apart for the gospel of God. And the next few verses of this introduction, he, it's really him expanding and commenting on that, explaining more what that actually means. And so as we go through this passage this morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to ask a couple of different questions. And in the time that we have this morning, we're going to answer two of those questions together. 
Now, at the end, I'm going to leave you with one question to answer on your own. So the two questions we're going to answer together are, first, what is the gospel? And second, what does it mean to be set apart for the gospel? And so first, what is the gospel? Paul begins his letter, he says he's been set apart for the gospel, and in the the next few verses he explains a bit more of what that gospel actually is. You know, the entire book of Romans itself, it's been described as Paul's clearest and fullest expression of the gospel that you find anywhere in scripture, and that begins right here in verses 2 to 4. He's talking about the gospel, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son who is descended from David according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And and you can see, ultimately, these verses, they culminate with Jesus. This gospel, which literally means good news, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. But what Paul does in these two verses is he doesn't just go for the, the, the quick and easy answer, saying this is the good news about Jesus Christ. He, he expands on that a little bit, and, and he actually begins by taking a step back, looking back in time a bit. He says, this is the gospel that God promised so many years ago. You know, as we, come to, as we come to our Bibles, it's easy to get into a habit of, of looking at books like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as being the, the, the books of the Bible that are actually about Jesus. You know, these are the four Gospels. They tell the story uh, of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. And, and so it's easy to look at those as being the parts about Jesus. And the rest, it's, it's about God, but it's kind of got its own thing going on. And yet the reality is that the entire Bible, from start to finish, is all about Jesus Christ. Even from the very beginning passages of the Bible, Genesis 1 to 3, they they tell of God creating this perfect world, from creating human beings in that world to live in a perfect relationship with him. And yet how humanity decided they didn't want to live God's way, They didn't want to obey the commands that he'd given. They wanted to do things their way. They rebelled against God. And each and every one of us has made that exact same choice. To decide, I don't want to do things God's way. I want to do them my way. We rebel against him, and in doing so, we break that relationship that we were meant to have with God. And because of that rebellion, because of that sin, each and every one of us deserves Death. Paul says later in Romans, the wages of sin is death. That's what our our sin rightfully earns for us. What we deserve because of what we've done is death and separation from God. And yet, thankfully, he doesn't stop there. He says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. As you read through the, the 39 books of the Old Testament, all of that is telling the story of God's promise that even though humanity time and time and time again rebels against him, refuses to obey, refuses to listen to his warnings, that he was going to send a savior who was going to take the penalty for their sins. And for years, God had sent prophets to his people, to Israel, to remind them of this promise. 
to call them to turn away from their rebellion, to turn away from their disobedience, and, and to live in obedience to God. And you see that in Romans. This is the gospel which he promised beforehand through his prophets. Verses 2 and 3 here, they're reminders that, that this gospel, that this had been promised by God at the very beginning, and that throughout the years God had never forgotten that promise. As Israel would look back on their history and, and everything that had happened, all the prophecies that they had read in the scriptures, every part of who they were as a nation was meant to point them to this. And the same is true for us as, as we come to God's word, as we read those same prophecies, as we read that same history, all of that is meant to be pointing us forward to this, to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what is the gospel? This is a story of God's faithfulness throughout history, culminating in Jesus Christ, God's son come to earth. The son of David according to the flesh and the son of God in power according to the spirit, fully God and fully man. The entire Old Testament is pointing us forward to the coming of Jesus Christ and everything since has been meant to point us back to him. And so Paul, he, he establishes kind of what the gospel is and, and, then, and then he goes into a bit more detail on what it means that he is set apart for the gospel of God. Get to know our second question. What does that mean? As through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Now at this point, I just want to take a moment and, and focus uh, or, or bring us back to the beginning of Paul's mission statement where he said he was called to be an apostle. He repeats that here in verse 5, claiming he had received grace and apostleship. Now, understanding this word is an important part of understanding what Paul means when he says that he was set apart for the gospel. The definition of an apostle is that an apostle is properly one sent on a definite mission in which he acts with full authority on behalf of the sender and is accountable to him. Within a New Testament context, this was a word uh, that, that referred to those who Jesus had sent to preach the gospel, specifically those who had had face-to-face -face interactions with him that he had personally sent. It was a title that was, re was reserved for Jesus' closest disciples, as well as Paul later on in his life. And we read the story of Paul's call and his commissioning in Acts, in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 20. And I just want to read for you verses 15 and 16. This is God talking about Paul. It says, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so Paul, he, he writes here that he has received grace because of the gospel and that he has been sent by Christ on a mission. And the verse, the verse explains what that mission is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Paul's mission has become calling others to obedience in Christ. And he's careful to mention, though, that that before, before receiving this apostleship, before receiving this mission, the first thing that he received from Christ was grace. 
through whom we received grace and apostleship. This mission that Paul had to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim about the grace of Jesus Christ, this was born out of the grace that he himself had experienced first. He had received grace from Christ and was given the mission to pass that on. His encounter with Jesus, it radically changed his life. He went from being someone who was known for for hunting down, for persecuting Christians, to being one of the most famous missionaries who ever lived and the author of a large portion of our New Testament. Because that's the kind of transformation that the gospel causes. It, It completely redefines your life. So to be set apart for the gospel, as Paul describes here, it means first experiencing the grace of Christ in your own life and then calling other people to obedience in him so that they can receive that same kind of grace. And it's important to note here as well that the, the last few words of this verse say, for his name's sake. Now, this mission that Paul was living out, this was not something he was doing for himself. He wasn't doing this so that he would be popular, so that he would receive praise from people. In fact, if you read through the book of Acts and and you read the stories uh, of Paul's missionary journeys, you know, he was an incredibly unpopular person because of this mission, because of the message that he preached. And yet the reason that Paul does what he does, the reason that his life is defined by being set apart for the gospel, regardless of whatever opposition he would face, is for God's glory, not his own. And that gives us an answer to our second question. What does it mean to be set apart for the gospel? It means calling others to obedience in Christ for the glory of God. And then verses 6 and 7, they're, they're the ending of this introduction that Paul's giving before he gets into, uh, gets into his letter. And verse 6, uh, especially, I want to highlight where he's telling the church here that this calling to to be set apart for the gospel, that this mission is not something that's entirely unique to him. It says in verse 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. As he's writing to the church, he's telling them, you were a part of this mission that God has given me. You have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. For, for all of you who've given your life to follow Christ, this is what defines you now. You have been called to belong to Jesus Christ. He's reminding the church that his life has been set apart for the gospel. He's been called to belong to Jesus Christ. And the same is true of them. They've been given a similar Mission to take the, this grace, to take this message, and, and to share it with others. And this isn't just the, the mission for the church in Rome. This is a mission for us as well. This is the church today to take the message of, of the hope of the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ and to share it with anyone that we can. You think back to those churches' mission statements that I read at the beginning for you. Each one of them, in one way or another, it includes this this element of sharing the gospel with those who don't know Christ. And I'm sure if you were to consider your own mission statement as a church, the same would be true in that. 
Because as followers of Christ, we've been given that mission to take the message that we've received and to pass it on, to share it. And it was that mission that led Elaine and I to want to plant a church in the town of Baden, specifically. And one of the things is we were looking at a number of different small towns, one of the things that drew us to Baden specifically was that for a town of 6,000 people, there, there was no evangelical churches anywhere in the community. There was not one gospel-preaching church in Baden. And, and initially, we looked around and, and we thought, okay, so there's, there's a lot of really good, really healthy churches within a, a 15, 20-minute drive of Baden. There, there, there are quite a few healthy churches nearby. And yet we, we realized something as we thought about that. That meant for, for the Christians who lived in Baden, there was a lot of good options for, for a church if they were willing to drive a little bit. And yet we were left with one nagging question that we just couldn't ignore, and that was who is in Baden to share the gospel with the people of Baden? You know, the, these other churches, they had their own communities to care for, that they were investing in and, and, and sharing the gospel with. Baden didn't have that. And so as we, as we looked more at the town, we, we began to see this incredible need in the community of Baden, uh, a need for a church whose mission was specifically to reach the people of Baden with the hope of the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them, to call them to repentance and obedience to him. That's why our mission statement is to introduce the hope of the gospel into the heart of our community and the homes of its people. As we're, as we're planting Baden Central Church, we, we want to see people's lives transformed by the gospel. We want to see families and marriages healed. We want to see the entire community of Baden transformed at its very core as people find hope through Jesus Christ and through the gospel as they see their need for a Savior, as they're introduced to the God who loved them enough to send his only Son to be that Savior for them. You know, one of the, one of the reasons that I love just visiting other churches and, and getting to share is, is because God has just put this mission so heavily on our heart to see the gospel shared with the people of Baden. And, and I love sharing with people about what God is doing there. And this mission that, that we have, this mission that is, is common for every church, it's born out of Matthew 28, 18 to 20, some of the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Uh, it's become a very famous passage known as the Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the mission that defines the church. This is the mission that defines the, the life uh, of, of those in the church, those who have been called to belong to Jesus Christ, have been called to live out this great commission. And so now we, we've answered these two questions together. What is the gospel? What does it mean to be set apart for the gospel? And, and now, like I said at the beginning, I'm going to end with leaving you with a question to, to think through on your own. 
As we look at the beginning of Romans, we see Paul laying out what his personal mission statement is, what defines his life. And so my question to you is this, what is your mission statement? What defines you? You know, I, I don't know most of you. I had the privilege of meeting some of you before the service, but, uh, but I don't really know most of you. If I were to come up to you after the service and ask you in one sentence to honestly sum up for me what your life is all about, what your mission statement would be, what would you tell me? I mean, maybe you're, you're sitting here this morning and you have no idea. You don't know what your mission statement is. All this talk of, of the gospel, of Jesus, this is, all, this is all brand new to you. And if that's the case, I want to really encourage you to consider the, the message of the gospel, that you are a sinner who's rebelled against God, but that he loved you so much that he was willing to send his son to die on a cross to take the punishment that you deserve so that you could be forgiven for your sins, so you could have a relationship with God. And Paul states very clearly in, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is a promise, and that salvation is available to anyone today who is willing to accept it. And maybe you're someone, you're sitting here this morning, and, and you, you're realizing as you're looking at your life that over time you've allowed the wrong things to define you. It's, it's easy for that to happen. It happens to, it happens to all of us at different times. Things creep in and suddenly they become so big in our lives that they become what defines us rather than the gospel. And you're, and you're realizing as you're sitting here, you need to reevaluate a little bit what your mission statement is. I would challenge every single one of us to really think deeply and honestly but what is it that defines your life? And if it's anything other than Christ, then pray and ask him to remind you of the gospel, of the truth of that message. Ask him to remind you of the love that he has for you and that he would help you to define your life by him rather than yourself. Because if you are someone who has given your life to Jesus Christ, you've been called to belong to him to have your life defined by him. And in that, you've been given a mission. Live with that mission in mind to share the good news of Jesus Christ. To share it with, with those around you, with anyone you can, every opportunity you can. Call them to obedience in Christ so that they can experience the joy and the freedom that comes from the salvation that Jesus Christ freely offers. Lord, I thank you so much for the gospel. God, I, I thank you that uh, despite our sin, you looked, uh, you looked at us and loved us enough to send your son in our place so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have a relationship with you. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help each of us to honestly search our hearts and, and uh, think about that question of what is it that defines us. Lord, we know that we're, we're so prone to, to drift this way and that and to define ourselves by by things of this world rather than by you. And Lord, I pray that you would uh, help us this morning to refocus our hearts on you, on the gospel. And, and Lord, if there's anyone here who has never trusted in you, never experienced the, the joy that comes from, uh, from a relationship with you, 
Lord, I pray that you'd be working in their hearts right now, showing them their need for a Savior and making clear to them the incredible love that you have to send that Savior for them. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name.